Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Care here. We're back with season six, episode 43 of our weekly P and Q and C and A and T, which is a glorified version of a Q and A, of which the most important letters are the Q and the A, which is questions and answers, and the P, which is a uh, stands for podcasts and Patreon, because it exists in podcast format if you check the links in the description of the video on all the major podcasting platforms, and it, it is largely due to the support of our patrons that we were able to do things like that. Um, getting right into it, I'd like to say uh, sorry for last week. Uh, the reason why we weren't able to film a video is at 11 a.m. the day after, and we do normally film like right at the night of right. uh, and post you know, the same night, I had a neuroanatomy final uh, sort of assessment worth 25% of my mark. Right. And so I was busy studying for that instead. So, so we could prioritize a video that makes us about a dollar each time we do it. It takes yeah. about an hour of our time. Or we could um, prioritize our real life stuff. And I think that's for 25% in my neuroanatomy yeah. class, which is, you know, not insignificant. Uh, so, but in, in, um, compensation for that, well, last week I did the MP video by myself, mm -hmm. but this week I think we've got a lot more juicy content on injustice. So we've got questions left over from last week, questions from this week, and a lot of it is actually injustice. Yeah. Uh, but to start out, we'll talk about something that is not injustice. This one comes from Apocalypse and they say, what do you think of the FTC's revision of COPPA, C-O-P-P-A, and its effect on you and other content creators of YouTube? Do you think YouTube will die before injustice? And they gave us the con, or Apocalypse gave us the context by linking to J House Law's video about COPPA. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't watched this video you have. So I that's, did. I will serve for this, the role of the uninformed public. You're, you'll be my straight man. Yeah. Um, so... I guess the short answer is I don't think YouTube will die, but a more interesting question then, and maybe that's what you meant, was will it hurt a lot of YouTubers and make it not as robust a platform? Yeah. So a quick recap for those not watching the video. FTC, also known as the Federal... This is all American. FTC, known as the Federal Trade Commission, is beefing up COPPA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And so basically any content that's targeted to children was subject to this and they've changed from stuff that's targeting children to content that's attractive to children and yeah. you have to self-designate and clearly attractive to children is much more broad and it means a lot of people will fall into that net and i feel like most of the stuff on youtube is meant to be attractive to children on some level yeah i, I mean the platform itself is sort of attractive <clears throat> to children right it, it yeah it, absolutely and especially since parents are happy to give their devices to their kids to keep them entertained yeah. while they want, or in other words, it's the old, the olden days that used to tell kids better to be seen and not heard, send them off to do something else. Mm -hmm. So once a video is designated, the, the reason why that matters is if it's designated as being a attractive to children, you don't get personalized ad, ads anymore. Um, you only get contextual ads. Yeah. And the the difference is, I guess it was implied, I don't know if he actually said it in the video, but that personalized ads, which are geared to the viewer and the viewing history, are more valuable or 
are worth more money yeah. than contextualized ads, which are geared towards the content in the video. Yeah, because basically the idea is that if you've got a personalized ad, you have a bunch of data points about somebody's sort of watch patterns, right? And you give them advertisements that are effective based off of their watch patterns. And if you have a contextual ad, it is basically the same thing, except with only one data point instead of sort of yeah. like a rich yeah. you know, set of information. Okay. So. Side side point is that when I was young, I used to think it was only pronounced advertisements. Then I had a teacher that pronounced it advertisements, and it took me a few years before I realized that both were acceptable pronunciations. Yeah, and I didn't know that. It's just interesting. It's just that you picked up on that, or maybe it's just the way you've grown up your your exposures that to you that's actually a natural way of saying it. It felt not right to me, but maybe it's because I spent more time reading, and I I don't think I actually heard the word before I'd seen it in print. Wait, did I say advertisement? Yes, you did. That's weird because that's not how I say it. Or maybe maybe I'm wrong. I know it was one way. It just made me think of that. Did you say advertisements? I think I did. Okay. Um, I don't, we we I don't have to go back to tape to find out. Yeah. Um, oh, and the other part is it's a fine for not complying is $42,000 per video. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting about this is that the extent to which it will affect content depends, I think, pretty heavily on how marketable the stuff talked about in the video is, right? It's definitely going to be worth less no matter what if you have to, you know, go from, you know, personalized to contextual. But for some stuff, it is already... It, there's some intrinsic sales. So you talk about, I think, he was supposed to be the highest paid YouTuber in... Um, Who? 2018 or 2019, Ryan's World. Okay. Which is a kid's toy review channel. Right. Those ads don't need to be personalized. It's right. a child watching a toy channel you give them advertisements for toys and it is basically as valuable uh no matter who what kid is sitting in front of the screen yes and no so the the actual value to the advertiser is just the same but will they have to pay as much yeah so if i mean they're clearly selling the ads differently right so that when you get a a personalized ad they can charge more for it even if it reaches the same audience even if it reaches the same person because it is supposed to be more accurate in targeting the audience. Yeah, the idea is that you have more information, <laughs> so you're hopefully only putting ads on things that are much more specifically related to the kind of target demographic that you're marketing to. But, I, you know, to differing extents, that's what, there's some videos that have inherent uh, audiences built in that have inherent preferences. So a toy channel, right? Even a right. gaming channel to a lesser extent. You right. sell them video games, right? Right. And you're probably selling them video games either way. And, you know, they might get other ads that aren't video games sometimes, right? But there is a sort of inherent understanding of what the t- yeah. uh, what a good type of ad that you could put on a video is. But right. then you run into issues where, you know, obviously this is not a great example of something that would apply to kids, but like a political channel, for example. There's right. not a product inherent that you're selling that person, right? Yeah. I mean, the problem... Okay, so... Variety content, right? If somebody's a vlogger, right? They might have content geared towards kids. There's no sort of inherent marketing... But that's... There's no inherent product that should be marketed to people who watch vlogs, right? They're not a homogeneous population in terms of their spending habits. But I think we're demonstrating the actual problem with this, right? Because you use the word geared towards kids. And the idea, actually, the reason why it's become dangerous is because it's anything that's attractive to kids. That's true. Political content is also likely not attractive to kids. Well, <laughs> but this is, I think this is where the real danger is because political content, what it takes is a bad faith actor. Yeah. Right? To you use this particular legislation to try to stifle the kind of speech they don't want 
pick on some superficial quality in the video that let's say it's even something like there's some political youtubers that do uh not what's that the animation that's not really animation oh um you know where they just use animatics? a lot of pictures something like that where they just or use like slideshow animation yeah exactly and then they can use this the threat of forty two thousand dollar fines per video to get them to stop putting out videos or maybe not stop but change the setting on their channel so that it's all attractive to kids yeah then their advertisers all become contextual and then they're less valuable and ultimately i don't know if what algorithm they'll use but if it it's contextual and this now is a video that's geared towards kids yeah then they're going to have kids ads on those videos that were never meant to be seen by kids it's true i don't i don't know how that works and the, the thing about it is that when you talk about content that it's attractive towards kids, that is such, like, a weird thing. Because a lot of the time, content that is attractive towards kids and content that is geared towards kids are entirely different things. Right. I think there's a pretty common experience on YouTube when you reach a certain age, uh, maybe, you know, like 12, something like that, where you might be seeking out stuff that is specifically... Uh, probably largely watched by children, but not necessarily appropriate for children. Right. Right? So you talk about channels like PewDiePie, uh, channels right. like Smosh, when Smosh was popular. One of right. the things is, I was young, I never watched Smosh, because I was either too young, or, like, the content was genuinely too inappropriate for me, and then um, I think by the time I was like, ah, I can probably watch this, I no longer found it entertaining, right? Where the right. content is, you know, uh, but even something... Well, part of the appeal is that it is sort of forbidden yeah and so the the sort of interesting thing about that is that you know even if it ends up with a certain younger viewer base right it's you know not even what what's attractive towards kids is really sort of nebulous right mm -hmm. because you know our again gaming content right the stuff that we make it's a mobile game that's very easily accessible to kids right right and i think audiences for mobile games do tend to skew younger is that you know, attractive to kids? Probably. Does so, it count? I don't know. So maybe this is a discussion that we actually need to have, and it's not like we prepared this, but... So would it be better to make all our... To, to mark all our content as being attractive to kids? So then we will never run afoul of the law. I mean, we'd make less money, but we're not making that much anyways. I mean, you know, just put it out there. It's like 40 US a month and on also, all our videos. They like, fine us. Well, could they? I guess they effectively? could. Effectively? Uh, well, how would their collection go? Um, what would that process look like? I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about law to be able to say. Are there potential consequences? I'm sure there could be. If they could, if they were to fine us, and then, you know, like how some criminals can't go into the U.S. anymore because yeah. there's, there's some sort of outstanding warrant for their arrest? Yeah. If, if we would owe $48,000? Per video. I guess if, I mean, if I never cared about going to the U.S. again then it, it probably wouldn't matter. That's true, There's but it's in my image. name, though, so I think I would be responsible. Because <laughs> it is your channel. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a longer life ahead of me to not be able to visit the U.S. So maybe that's something that we have to have a longer discussion about, but this is what the, the idea brings up, right? Yeah, because it's, it's everything. All of YouTube. There's so little of YouTube that you could not argue is meant to, you know, appeal to minors. Right. Right? There's, there's sort of small spaces within it. I think the video essay community is safe. I'm not even sure about that. Again, if you use what would, what did you call it, the anima, animatics? Yeah. That the the idea of it's like the way they used to prosecute comic book creators. They would prosecute comic books that had 
adult content, but we're clearly geared towards adults by saying, well, it's comic books. That's attractive to all kids. Yeah. And so they were subject to the indecency laws. I mean, that's a big part of how the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund became prominent in defending people who were being um, sued, I guess. Yeah. Or prosecuted for breaking the law. And I think one of the things that is likely to happen with something like this is that it is very likely that... The, the, I think the reason why it's scary is because it's not well defined, right? And yes. it's so broad and vague. And I think what is likely to happen to as with, you know, these things frequently, the, the system like this, it feels so broad as to almost be not sustainable. So one of two things will happen. Either, you know, massive portions of people, especially people who probably didn't need to, will have to designate their channels like this and we'll see what yeah. happens to ads and we'll see what happens to content creators. And maybe YouTube takes another hit like it has, you know, with the adpocalypse, with different, you know, m- like right. automatic moderation tools, all that stuff, right? And maybe that happens. And maybe this gets either tossed out or refined or figured out in a way that makes where that that uncertainty that we have right now resolves into something that is not as bad as what the worst case scenario is, which is sort right. of what we're talking about here, right? But it might take a few people to suffer before that happens. I mean, we, we saw an example of that when people were being sued for downloading MP3s. That's true. So there were, like, grandma grandmothers that were being sued for thousands of dollars because their grandchild had downloaded an MP3 on their computer or even their network, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's... uh. It's interesting. So we'll we'll have to watch it. I think is the thing, right? And again, Greg, the it's interesting with you know YouTube existing and operating out of the U.S. Right? Right. But uh, like I, I I don't know how that applies to you know for example us. Like what what happens? There's a obviously legal precedent that the content from your users you are not directly responsible for. You're not legally liable for. That is why. Right you know, YouTube is allowed to exist, right? right. Uh, basically... Safe harbor. Oh, yeah, basically any, you know... I think it's a safe harbor exception to the DMCA that allows them to say that, well, it, when you bring it to our attention, yeah, that we do something about it, but if we're just a platform, if we don't know about it, we can't actually do anything about it, and there's just too much content for us to police. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean, again, we'll just, we'll have to watch and see. I really think I... I fingers crossed that it is not just another sort of nail in the coffin of YouTube. Right. Uh, well, I guess personally, the only, the only thing I've got that's going to, I feel like is going to protect us is there's going to be thousands of Minecraft channels that are going to be subject to being attacked before us. Cause Minecraft is more attractive, I think to kids than injustice. It, it really depends on how automatic the moderation tools are, because if we're looking at the law as written, it could just apply to any gaming content, all gaming content, and then it would just mm. hit us. And then that's it. Yeah. But it wouldn't be YouTube policing it. I think it would have to be because YouTube is, is asking us to designate our videos and we're required to do it. Um, by this month, I think. So it'll be a matter of people, or maybe bots, like, uh, what do they call them? Um, you know, just uh, programs to check yeah. YouTube and look through all the uh, videos and see if... I don't, yeah, I don't even know how they would do that, though. It's it, at, it's so broad. At 42000 it, it would pay to have to pay somebody. And if they only caught one video a year, it would still be worth it to them. 
Yeah, but the fine, that's on from the government, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying you're, you think the government could hire a team of people, of YouTube content moderators, of content that is potentially geared for children that well, hasn't been flagged? Well, look at the civil forfeiture laws in the States where anything that's considered the proceeds of a crime, but also that anything for somebody who's been arrested is subject to forfeiture so that when people are caught speeding in a certain state, they can take their car. So that there's motivation for the police to target expensive cars and seize them and then sell mm -hmm. them off and make money for them and generate income for the police department. That's, uh, that's horrifying. And <laughs> yeah, that's a, and also a good point. Yeah. But okay. yeah, thank you for bringing that to our attention, uh, Apocalypse, because I've been ignoring all the messages from YouTube saying that we needed to mark off our videos until I saw your, saw this comment. And it's definitely more food for thought that we might be coming back to. Yeah, I it's so hard for me to say because I don't know if our videos are attractive to kids. Yeah. And I don't really, like, I sort of want to be able to plead ignorance on this because I think that they're, by and large, not built to be. Right. I think the style of our content, actually, if anything, as gaming content is sort of obtuse for children. <laughs> you hope so. Um, so, but it's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Our next question, uh, injustice related, comes from Strice S T R Y S. Yes, yeah, Strice was it like Strice like fries? fries? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they say also, would you recommend either doing bonus battle six or challenge reset when grinding for credits? Easy question. I like these short and sweet. Bonus battle six if you also need experience to level up your guys, and challenge if you only want power credits. It's challenge is clearly faster you can do it with uh all your characters and lower levels and bonus battle six has to be guys that are high enough and for most people who are grinding for credits bonus battle six makes the most sense because if you're short on stuff chances are you want to level up your guys too so you can create more people or sort of create more teams that let you grind Mm -hmm. So there we go. Yeah, but the, the the experience on challenge sucks because the levels are so low. That yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, our next question comes from Sly Snipes, and this is a follow up to the previous question where he asked if we were gay or just roommates or something. Yeah, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but that was the approximate message content. Um, and he says, or I should say, they say. I don't think uh, gender is <laughs> signified here. Uh, hello again. Firstly, I'm sorry if my last question came across as intrusive or mean in any sort of way, but I have been watching for a while and I was gen genially curious. I'm genuinely, genuinely yeah. curious. Uh, yeah. Secondly, yes, I do capitalize every, I don't really know why I do it. I just always have also I use caps lock instead of shift, which mean I must be a medical mystery. And thirdly, finally, you guys must be fed up at this point and actually injustice comment. I always wondered how to get augmentations. I've been playing for around three years on and off and I have no idea how to get them or get a character max augmented essay by sly snipes. Uh, and I think first off at the beginning, I, I don't think we, uh, noticed any ill intent. I think we sort of, I think it was clear from the way that you're asking, right? I think yeah. you said this is not a troll question, right? Uh, in the initial question, uh, I think we just use it as a jumping off point to talk about the way that it was being talked about. Right. And I don't think it really yeah, had anything to do with us. We weren't trying to, uh, crap on you for yeah, the way that you phrased it or anything. No offense taken. Yeah. We're all good. Yeah. And for the for the other part of it, which is the uh, how to get augmentations. Yeah, so unfortunately, the only practical way for augmentations to farm them is to do it through Survivor. 
and using last laugh tickets. Um, so you could use the air f airplane mode. I was going to say air fund. Like I was going to ship the words in my mind. I was just jumping ahead. The airplane mode slash refund glitch to try to get the augmentations that you want when you've got last laugh tickets. Um, but augmentations have been available other ways. They've been parts of really specialized packs that are often very expensive and cost a lot of cash. So it's not a good way to accumulate augmentations, but you can get them there. The the most important augmentations, the reason why it's worth using the airplane um, mode glitch isn't necessarily just to get augmentations, but to get the ones that you want. Because the only, not the only ones that matter, but ones that matter the most are crit chance yeah. and crit boost. Mm-hmm. Because they will make the biggest difference in your ability to win fights in multiplayer. And the boosting the damage and boosting the health, while it's nice aesthetically, what it does is it changes your matchups in a, in a bad way in multiplayer. Yeah. Oh, and I, I just wanted to stick it out there just so that it's in the ether somewhere recorded. Okay. Um, you're working on something new right now, right? Yeah, I am. Uh this is sort of a, I've mentioned it a couple of times where I'm talking about a new thing to do. I'm working on a video essay right now and I have actually, uh, put down, uh, about two and a half minutes worth of it in sort of a rough edit. I've got most of the script for it. And so two and a half minutes is how much of it is? What are you aiming for? I don't even know what I'm aiming for. It's probably going to be somewhere between like seven and 10 minutes when okay, I'm done. Okay, so you're like a quarter of the way through. Maybe. Okay. I actually, I, I ran it by a couple of people just with what I've got to see what people think. I'm probably going to re-record the audio and then re-edit it a little bit closer. Okay. Because I had to record it the first time when people were asleep, so I was quiet <laughs> and it was a little more gravelly than a video essay probably should be skewing a little closer to the ASMR uh, <laughs> as close as you would get. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's still a lot of work to be done on it, but I'm actually, I'm quite enjoying it. I don't really have the time to work on it right now. I'm right. coming up into final season, but it's, uh, it's been a really sort of fun process so far, uh, for what it is. And I'm, what I'm really realizing is for all of my sort of really basic rudimentary editing, uh, with not a ton of, you know, there's, there's not a high sort of standard of quality or eye for detail mm -hmm. there just because I don't know how to edit video properly. Mm -hmm. um, and with my, you know, relatively sort of simple uh, conversational script that it is still taking me probably, I want to say, easily upwards of an hour for every minute wow. of content that comes out. Because wow. I would say that for, you know, I've written a bunch. Right. Right. Um, but for the two and a half minutes that I have, you know, obviously having written Moses script now, that's, you know, some time that went in that isn't coming up to the thing. But when I'm going to re-record my audio, re-edit the video, I want to say I've probably already spent maybe somewhere between five and ten hours on it. Wow. All right. I can't wait to see the final product. Yeah. And I mean, to say that makes it, you know, maybe gives people a full sense of how good it's going to be because it's, I fully expect it to be rough around the edges. But I think for this, I, I had an opinion that I thought was maybe worth making a video essay on before and I didn't follow through with it. Right. Um, and I think what's for this is that I just want to release it and see what it is going to be like. And for a, maybe a sneak preview, I think I can talk about the topic of it uh, here. If anybody's interested, it's going to be on Patriot Act, the Hassan Minhaj's uh, Netflix show. Right. And so no, no, Isn't content, it Hassan but, uh, Minhaj. Yeah. Hassan Minhaj. What did I say? Hassan? Hassan? Yeah. Okay. I see. I'm trying to hit the pronunciation right. So it's probably Hassan. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm making sure to 
because people say, well, Hassan Minaj, and it's Minhaj. Like, there's an H there. Okay. And I'm trying to I'm trying to say that without hitting it too hard. That's one of the things that I want to be, you know, careful that I'm being respectful for the purpose of the video essay. So I had to listen uh, to his... <laughs> th- he has tried to pronounce it in different places. There was an, a video where he went on Ellen and pronounced it right. And I want to do it right, but I also don't want to be like, Minhaj, right? Like, I don't want to hit the, the H too hard. Yeah. Because I think that's I, not great I, I either. Think I, I think you brought a good point too, that it's taking a lot of time, but I think sometimes it's just worth doing. Once you do it, you don't get any better at it until you've done it. Yeah. And then once you've done it, something's just like, it's like making these videos. Now we can make these videos in very much the same time that it takes to watch the video there's yeah. very little extra now yeah there's you know finding the questions beforehand but we like reading through comments anyway so those sort of right. come up naturally right. and then there's writing the stuff out in between and you do a lot of the sort of little notes about stuff that you want to talk about do you want to talk about how yeah. long that takes for well, a video because because i'm old and i forget stuff so it maybe takes me i don't know like for for every video that we've done like the q a i think yeah I maybe take like 10 minutes to type out a few things. Okay. So just that I want to just ideas, like just points that I want to get. And sometimes if, if it's just flowing anyways, cause I, I'm after playing years of online boggle, yeah. I can type about 80 words per minute, which is pretty fast. So it's not, it's not awful. It's like it almost comes out as fast as I can think of the ideas. And that way when I type it out, I just, I, I, I don't have to remember everything. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got that 10 minutes. We've got the finding comments, which is, a sort of nebulous amount of time, but it's what we do anyways. That probably isn't more than 20 minutes, I would say. Right. Uh, just for how quick it is to skim through comments as they come up, right? Right, right, right. Uh, and then there's the actual recording of the video. And then the editing process is actually also pretty painless. Probably another 15 minutes. Well, and, and then the 15 minutes is not attended. I guess the, the 15 minutes, if you're going to put it, it's going to be the uploading. Yeah. And adding all the notes and stuff and the links. So, yeah, it, it takes maybe, what, I want to say, like, three minutes per minute of content you see here maybe four if you I think i'm closer trying to, to three, three i'm trying to include both of our time here because it's two oh, minutes two that's minutes true. per minute so it's maybe okay, so three, three minutes is probably true that's probably yeah, so true. it's about three minutes per minute of content you see here yeah if it was more than that i don't think we'd be able to do this yeah and that's that's including both of our time separately that's not right, including right. the you know 50 minutes of recording and, as. and i won't count the footage because i'd be doing that anyway i still like um injustice we both still be doing that i think Okay, so yeah, so technically like four minutes, but you know, right. functionally less. But yeah, so that's that's sort of the difference is that you know, and I'm again, I'm not trying to make a great video essay. The first time around, I know it's going to be rough. I'm expressing an opinion which I think is valuable and worth saying, right. and I am trying to make it uh, something that I can be happy with and something that I would be interested in watching. And that's why I I ran it past. I ran both the script as I have it now, and the amount that I've recorded so far past one of my friends who really does like video essays and who listens to a bunch, right, and sort of has the right. chops for it, and I've right. ran it past another friend too, and I, I want to make this something that I think is interesting and worth watching. And e- even though I know that comparing it to, you know, the people who do this, right, it's going to be rough around the edges. Well, sure, but they've been doing it for a while. What you see is after years of practice, right? Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I think it's shaping up. I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I guess anybody who's, you know, watched the sort of 27 minutes in here, if uh, probably 
is a lot like the comments that we receive to talk about they watch us because they like our opinions the way that we talk and how we are often thoughtful uh hopefully it's going to have all those sensibilities in it in the finished product i am really sort of making my best effort and this is actually a more sort of structured uh, argument and opinion so uh if you're if you're hearing this uh i think my goal right now i don't want to put a date on it because i'm gonna put it out when it's done but right. sometime over christmas break my last um final exam is on december 19th and in between that and sometime really early january right. when i go back to school i'm gonna have some time off and i think that is when i'm gonna be trying to really grind out All this right. this essay so hopefully sometime over christmas break maybe a little christmas present <laughs> to the viewers and also to myself all right uh post it that's the that's the plan right now thumbs up yeah i'm looking forward to that so there we go uh our next question comes from dr zoidberg and they say recently came back to this game and my discount gold pack is not available in my shop with a question mark at the end so that actually is a question even though it's 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 punctuated like a question but not formulated it like a question but it is sort of there is an implied question there so i guess if i wanted to read it in the correct cadence it would be recently came back to this game and my discount gold pack is not available in my shop yeah so the big change was that the rotating packs became only for money in addition to the discount gold packs so there used to be some target team packs that you know we all liked yeah and, and at pretty much the same time they took those out now it's only for money there's yeah. no credit packs uh for those like team packs and rotating packs and at the same time, pretty much, they took the daily discounted gold pack out of the store. And, and despite this, I think the gold pack is still a good way to build up a farming roster. Yeah. The, the problem is, it may not be so obvious that um, because the price separation between the challenge pack is uh, not as big. It's 150k, and the gold pack is 100 before the discount pack was 75. So it used to be for half the price, you'd get a character. Instead, it's like two-thirds the price. And some would argue that the challenge pack is a better deal because you get higher stat cards with better passives on average. Yeah, but it depends on what you're actually looking for from it. If you're just looking for sort of the highest number of stat points per credit spent, yeah, then you, the challenge pack is probably better. But it matters how those, you know, stats are arranged, right? Right, right. And with a gold pack, you have a lower number of characters and you have people who, not always, but the vast majority of them are available for purchase in the store. Right, so there's so many challenge cards, it's hard to promote them through the pack. Yeah. And the gold pack, if you decide that there's one character that you've gotten a few now, you want to just finish it up and make them high enough to to yeah. farm a bonus battle six, which ties into the earlier question nicely, um, you can just directly promote them and it'll cost you a little bit more, but you actually have that choice. Yeah. And I, I think the difference is if you're getting like your your first, you know, gold character, mm -hmm. the difference between challenge and gold is not worth the extra 50,000 credits because the amount of time it takes you to grind at that stage matters yes. a lot. Yeah. When you're sort of at that in-between phase where you are, when you're getting more gold characters, you're probably not getting secondary copies of them anyways. Right. That is the time I think where it might make sense to get challenge characters because if you're only going to be able to consistently get one copy anyways, right. it makes sense for that person to have higher stats. Uh, so you can max them out. And then when you move out of that phase again, um, where, you know, having one copy of a character doesn't cut it and you're going to need to start deleting them, that is when it makes more sense again to go back to the golds or to take the golds you already have and promote right. them directly in the store. Right. So I think there is sort of a point right in the middle where it might make sense to use um, the challenge pack. But it's, I think, a pretty narrow one. Now, I'm going to make an, a maybe not so obvious point that the cards you farm with may not be the cards you want to play in multiplayer. Mm. 
And that's important because you cannot remove promotions. Once you've promoted them, you can't bring them back down. So be careful about how, how high the elite level you take somebody. Um, if you're going to be using the farm, especially if you're just relying on the promotion and not the gear, which most people are at the beginning because gear takes a long time to max out. And if you're using that to get to bonus battle six to grind or to finish the offline mode, you don't want to get stuck with a character that you like at too high a promotion so that you can't take them in multiplayer because you always lose with them because you don't have enough of the augmentations or the gear to make them effective against the kind of uh, teams that you'll be facing with the matchmaking that you have. Yeah. So there we go. Huh. Uh, our next question comes from Yazan Omar, and then there's a follow-up uh, that is also relevant. So do you get banned if you use metal characters in online Battle Fleet 7? And then the follow-up is a reply from Shem the Kid, spelled K-Y-D, and they say, nope, there was enough Phantom Zone appearances to max out all the metal characters normally, so they wouldn't ban you. So I'm, I'm not sure. Like, sometimes when people say things, it, it it's obvious that they they mean exactly what they say. And I think there's a chance that um, we're talking about two different things. So getting to Elite 7 and maxing out specials are two different things. Getting to Elite 7, I think, in my mind, the amount of money you'd actually have to spend to get there means that if the developers still cared, it would be a bannable offense. But I think a lot of the reasons why people aren't getting their accounts suspended now is because... Moderation is lax. Right. They're not paying attention. However, um, the issue of maxing out the specials is a different one because, um, so if we look at Elite 7, we're talking 20-something copies of the cards yeah. versus the rate-limiting step of specials is the Valorium Alloy. Yeah, and so the 20-something copies of the cards, we're talking about getting them from the Phantom Zone packs themselves. The Anthem Metal packs, yeah. The Anthem Metal packs, yeah, sorry, and the Phantom Zone Crystal Rewards, right? Right, right. So, you know, theoretically, I think even if you've been playing all of them, I'm not even entirely sure that without, maybe with the reset glitch, right, and using the cheapest pack and, you know, resetting it until you get it, that there might be, like, a perfect way to get a full team maxed out. But I think if you look at the terms and conditions or the terms of service or whatever you call it, that even glitching to reset the pack would be considered enough cheating to... Uh, justify a suspension of your account. Yeah, so, well, in that case, I think there's a, like a one in however many million or billion or trillion chance that if you just opened all the packs and got that lucky. Um, yeah, yeah. That you you could theoretically have uh, them maxed out, but I think for any sort of actual real-world uh, situation, right. it, you probably couldn't even have them, you know, Elite 7. So, as far as the Valorum Alloy, though, there has been enough, because of an, one account that we've kept where we've only played the Phantom Zone based on the nth metal 50 nth metal replays there has been enough phantom zone events to max out the specials and the passive for two medals and we're probably a handful of phantom zone events away from getting three yeah because we've got 80,000 something um valorum alloy on one account and it takes 35,000 to max out the specials both the regular specials and the dark power specials and the passive of one metal character. Yeah. And maybe on a side note, so we've got one other team that's waiting for a video, but we've got another idea now because we've finally brought Batman Ninja Catwoman to Elite 3, which allows us to evolve the passive, 
and that means your passive lasts 21 seconds per tag in or knockout or special two. Mm-hmm. And it should be a, a really fun demo because I think hands down, she is absolutely the best metal card. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's not controversial. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. So it was definitely worth the resources, but uh, I think we should be doing that sometime soon ish. Yeah. So there we go. Our next question comes from faded world. And they say, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I have this major issue where in the Phantom Zone, challenges I cannot complete the Power Steel and Health Steel challenges. Using any Raven cards does nothing, and using Gear cards does something, but very inconsistently. So, for example, I got Power Steel Challenge with 2 times bonus using Batgirl, so I used Time Capsule and League of Assassins gear with her. But even after 4 times activating the Power Steel, there is zero progress on the challenge. However, after the 5th time, the bar moves slightly ahead, meaning that it does work, but not completely. So, is it a glitch or what? What am I missing? Um, so the easy question is health steal is I find that the best way to do health steal and the fastest way is to put Lexcore chest plate on my special two specialist. Yeah. In this case it's Deathstroke. And funny note, it Deathstroke, despite doing a huge amount of damage on special two, is not nearly as good as another character would be because Deathstroke has the pirate crew. And some of the damage is not credited to him. It's credited to his teammates. So that I think the Aquaman hit and the Batman hit do more damage. And if you had it on, say, our Justice League team with uh, New 52 Wonder Woman, she would be able to get through Hellsteel using Lexcore Chestplate in one round. And it often takes Deathstroke 2 because a lot of the credit for the health being knocked off them yeah. is, um, is, is not credited to him the harder part is the power steel so power steel is one of those crap kind of tasks that take forever to do even if you're geared properly for it and i'll tell you what necron's scythe actually works really well but being able to drop somebody to less than 15 percent and do enough hits to steal their power it's not worth it but it does consistently uh sort of meet the requirement without actually doing it efficiently enough to finish the task before we've done enough to just get the full points to finish our crystal anyways. Yeah. So, all right. So I've been meaning to do a, uh, video about Phantom Zone strategy and the principles are there. I haven't gotten around to doing it. And I did make a post on Reddit when somebody was asking about this. So it might be worth mentioning a few parts of it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. So any, and you're seeing it demonstrated in this video where we're doing the last three crystals of uh, the Phantom Zone. The most important thing when you're doing Phantom Zone, and I guess this is three runs, it's about one hour, um, and with the intent of not necessarily getting through it sort of quickly, but making a few sort of mental mistakes because it's not really like a totally focused. So on average, you can do 20 minutes if you're really efficient, maybe, or lucky, you can do it in a little bit less. Yeah. Recognize which tasks are the fastest to do and then tailor your team to be able to do those specific tasks so you'll notice that we typically don't start a crystal run until we have at least two and preferably three of the four tasks being the fastest ones mm-hmm. and the fastest ones it's funny because they they were the the who, who asked this question faded world was saying that the steel health was the hardest that's actually one of the fastest ones with our flashpoint team basic damage steel health and 10 online wins are the, are the best 
Um, since we're always doing multiplayer online, we always do ultimates. Yeah. Because once you get past the first fight, the bonuses are so much better. You can steal health that's worth 135 in one or two fights. Ten online wins can be done in three fights if you start from the first one, and two, I think, if you start after that. Yeah. And that's worth 270. And basic damage is the best because it can always be done in one, even if it's the first fight. Yeah. And then there's some that are sort of garbage tasks where it's worth re-rolling. Um, and usually in a, in a Phantom Zone run, I think there's the free one you always take uh, when you think that you're stuck, like you're not making progress enough with the fights that you're doing. And I don't re-roll them just because they're there i re-roll them because there's not another good one that makes it worth fighting yeah so the crap ones are and that either take forever or just really undoable is the doing 235 combo enders that takes forever Mm -hmm. um steel power 80 supers and no matter what the team those are all hard and 80 stuns might be easier with say um an earth 2 team where they stun and tag in but um that would mean trading out our team, changing the gears, and this team is just too fast for all the other tasks to make it worth trying to tailor um, another team for that. Mm-hmm. And then I think every other task to me is in between. For example, uh, the tagging or block requirement. So if it's one of the tasks, we just leave it in the list. And then like this, this is an example, right? So we're watching this. Harley Quinn is weak. We just tag in and out. We block as we need to. And then you can often finish this in one fight. You wait for a low damage opponent, and then you can take care of it in a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, well, in this case, though, we didn't tag in enough. But see, there was that was maybe uh, a quarter of what was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, damage over time effects, or the total damage over time damage, that we let Aquaman do the fight, do special ones until his health is low, and then tag him out, and then finish the fight. And then we see what we've got left. Um, and the specials, the number 195 specials and the amount of crit damage, I mean, they sort of take care of themselves just over the course of the fights. For sure. And we don't have to worry about them. I mean, honestly, it would take too long to switch teams. So we just optimize our flashpoint team. We know what's needed and we just motor through it. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That's that. The next question comes from Arian <coughs> Joshi. And they say, could you please tell me how do I get amazing gear and how to use them quickly? I always find that I'm lacking shards. I'm a new watcher of your videos and love them. Keep making them. All right. Thank you. Um, and the the right answer that's not that useful is it depends on how much time you have to play. With good gear, I mean, you need the first copy. So that means playing Survivor and getting lucky and playing multiplayer seasons and getting in the top 5% to get at least the first copy. Yeah. Or getting them from gear lockers. Uh, well, except that the... the best gears i would argue are, are, are the legendary gears with a few exceptions i guess there that's are... true i mean if you're just starting out though getting the lower star gears and actually uh fusing them up gets you yep. uh in the long run so that's the other part right you get shards yeah so power credits are important for the gear lockers G- gear lockers are important because you will get the 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 common gears and you can get more copies of them and you can max them out more easily and once you max them out they give you more shards when you um, shatter them. Yeah. So some people might argue that doing Survivor is a good way. It is for the first copy, but in terms of just maxing out the number of shards you get, I think the power credits and then gear lockers is probably the best as long as you're willing to put in the time and you're playing long-term. Yeah. Because 
that's the best way, right? Like yeah, the, that's the the key. I think is the term quickly here. Is it really depends on what you mean by quickly? Because it's quickly relative to, uh, I guess, not really sort of directing your attention towards gears. But it's not quickly in terms of what most people's idea of quickly is in a game, right? right the number right. of hours that we're talking about here, right? So. Now, I, was that our last question? I think I it think was. It was. All right, so can I... Not through all of them. It didn't take us... It took us 43 minutes. That's pretty good. So can I... I, I wanted to talk something about language because it, it's relevant here when we were talking about the difference between videos that are geared towards kids and videos that are attractive to kids. Mm. And okay. why the, the, that subtle difference in language makes such a huge difference. I Yeah, I actually have an interesting point that I learned about literally... I think just today or yesterday in a okay, podcast yeah, that I was it? listening to. Um, so I recently listened to, this is a plug, I don't know if I made that on this podcast before, but a huge plug to uh, somebody who is way larger than us and our audience is not going to uh, sort of translate over into anything for them. But Behind the Bastards okay. is a w absolutely wonderful podcast. Robert Evans runs it. It's really cool. It's super fascinating. I've learned a lot about history. So what's... What's the, the, the conceit behind it? The conceit is that uh, every week, and there is a new episode every week, and sometimes they're multi-part, so like it's usually at least an hour of content every week, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, Robert Evans goes through the history of uh, monsters. Uh, some of history's greatest monsters is basically the Oh, not literal monsters. Yeah. But like monstrous human beings. So people, people that you could justifiably call bastards. Okay. Um, and he just goes through stuff, and generally the more in the public eye they are, or the more people would know about them, like Hitler, Stalin, um, whose other people they've covered. Um, some of their names are escaping me um, right now, but he will cover sort of the stuff that people don't know. Right. And then for people who are, or people events stuff that is a little bit less sort of in the public eye, he'll uh, talk about sort of everything about it from start to finish. Right. So for Stalin, oh, yeah, was, I, Stalin, that, you hear about his drinking right. problems, and uh, you know, for the uh, oh my god, I'm trying to, I'm I'm losing names right now, but for somebody else, you right, might so hear their th full stories. That makes sense because what they're trying to do is cover stuff that's maybe not common knowledge, whether it's about the person themselves or just features about people who happen to be famous. Yeah, you're you're trying to give them, you're trying to make it new information either way. Right, right, right. Um. And so there's his most recent episode is about 8chan uh, and the current owner of 8chan mm -hmm. uh, with the special guest being the founder of 8chan mm. who now wants it to be not supported. And in it, they said something really interesting um, about 4chan where the uh, you know founder of 8chan said, I think that the founder of 4chan has a lot with very little sort of effort can have a lot of influence over the way a discourse is had, right? So there's a board called Poll, uh, which for people who know 4chan, super, you know... So it's their political branch, like sort of that yeah. area where they go politics. But it's um, pretty hateful and vitriolic, Okay, I think it's fair to say. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, really negative stuff that has spawned from Poll. And uh, the founder of HM was talking about it, where he said, so Poll doesn't stand for politics, it stands for politically incorrect. Right, that's what the board is, and just framing it in that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, saying that this is, you know, the politically, this is a politically incorrect space. Uh, he thinks, in a lot of ways, has sort of shaped what it has become, right? Because you know, it it sort of sets a precedent for the kind of discussion that's meant to be happening there. And to a certain extent, I think 
because of the way that 4chan was, it would have become what it did in some form or another. Mm-hmm. But I think that definitely does have an influence and an impact, right? Well, maybe that, should... that was like an, a section of 4chan that had a bit of accelerant. Right? Yeah. So instead of just letting it sort of like a forest fire build up on its own, you throw a little bit of gas there. Yeah, and uh, also in the episode, again, I don't know actually that much about 4chan myself, so I can't really confirm or deny this, uh, but apparently a poll was made in a way as almost like a, like a quarantine where there are specifically lax or rules for what you can and can't post right. uh, in poll. So it's one of the spaces in which you you have a bunch of people who end up flocking to it for that sort of oh lax is it like the rules. what's that movie the purge or is it the one where you know one day where all year? crime is legal that is the purge yeah okay so it's like that where you're just letting it happen that day and then just let it go it's more like not the purge there's an area in America which technically doesn't fall under any jurisdiction where theoretically uh, murder would be legal or any crime would be legal if committed in it I forget what it's called. Uh, but there's, you can look it up. It's like an area in like a forest somewhere, like a national park. And so people have talked about it at length and it turns out crimes are legal in that space. Nobody's ever been prosecuted, but there'd be a lot of loopholes. Like you can't bring somebody there for the purposes of murder. Cause then it's premeditated and you can be prosecuted for the premeditation somewhere <laughs> else. So if you ended up in there, realized you were there and said, Oh cool. And then killed somebody while you were there. Uh, theoretically you would not be committing any crimes. Okay, that's interesting. I, I don't, I don't remember what it specifically is, but it is. I know it's an area forest in which technically crime is legal. Okay. <laughs> so there we go. It's let's, more let's like not that. Go there. Where it's a physical space and not like a, not like a designated time slot. Right. You right. know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, let's not visit there. I okay. have no plans on murdering anybody if I was there, but if I, you know, once you pop in there, you're not allowed to. For legal reasons, I have to say that if I found myself in there with somebody I wanted to murder, I, would, I was not planning on doing it beforehand. <laughs> okay. So that's, that was not, that was a turn I did not expect to take. So that's, that's sort of the discussion of discourse, uh, and how it can be, you know, the type of discourse that's ha- being had can be changed, I think. Right. Or influenced relatively easily. So what were, what was your thing? I see. I was going more along lines of, I mean, it, it it sort of dovetails, but it's a different idea that more just the the word choice that we make can have a huge influence on the, the direction the discussion goes. Mm. And all right, so there's this thing called the narcissist prayer, and I think I don't I couldn't find an attribution for it, so I'll, I just read it first and then maybe be a little bit more clear about some of what it means. So it starts off, that didn't happen. And if it did, wasn't that bad. And if it was, that's not a big deal. And if it is, it's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. Mm. And I guess what's implied is really, it's, I mean, it, if it's not obvious, because I think when hearing it, it's, it's a little different than reading it. So that didn't happen and if it did happen it wasn't that bad and if it was that bad that's not a big deal and if it is a big deal that's not my fault and if it was my fault i didn't mean it and if i did mean it you deserved it and what made me think of that i mean what's been a really fertile ground for a lot of our discussion in the mm-hmm. last couple of years has been the u.s government and the current president and the most recent thing is the whole ukraine uh impeachment inquiry yeah and when i talk about words the the term quid pro quo was started as a talking point by Republican politicians, basically to say uh, 
when they first when the idea of the Ukraine the the whistleblower about the Ukraine uh, scandal came out, they said, well, you know, in this conversation there was no quid pro quo. They were the ones that started talking about it like that. It wasn't there no pre, no pid no quid pro quo. Yeah. And so quid pro quo describes trading one thing of value for something else of value. Yeah. And it's kind of clever of them to pick this as their starting point because if they say, you know, Trump didn't do this quid pro quo, trading something of value for something else of value, then the answer, if they can sort of cultivate the conversation, is to bring it towards people responding and saying, um, but there was quid pro quo. Yeah, which is not... That that framing, even if you say there was quid pro quo, doesn't actually sound that awful. Right. What it represents, the idea that they're having quid pro quo represent is much worse. Right. So it's part of, to me, it's it's following the structure of the narcissist prayer where they're saying, oh, that didn't happen. Then if somebody says that did happen, what you've done is the people who disagree with you, you've convinced them to use your language. At the stage where they start saying, hey, wait a minute, some of that fancy Latin quid pro quo stuff did happen. You're all ready to say, well, it wasn't that bad. It's not a big deal. You've yeah, already taken your so well. You're you're ready to get to the next stage of the narcissist prayer, and I mean, yeah, because you're just trading stuff, right? It's just yeah. quid pro quo. So the problem is, it's taken a few weeks, and we're finally seeing a, a shift now that people are starting to call it for what it is. I mean, if you're going to be generous, it's bribery, and if you're going to yeah. be ungenerous, it's extortion. Because what you're doing is, so you've got this ally who's supposed to stand up against Russia for you. You've promised them. And your government um, has already promised $400 million and they've allocated that money. And you're saying, no, you're not going to get it unless you do this thing for me. Yeah. And if this is crucial to your functioning, at least in the functioning the way of protecting yourself and protecting maybe other countries against Russia Mm -hmm. by keeping Russia from establishing, I guess, um, more power, Mm -hmm. then... You're either bribing them and saying, okay, so here's 400 million if you do this for us. Or you're saying you're extorting if you say, yeah, this stuff that you thought you were getting, you're not getting it unless you do this for us. Yeah, it reminds me of like a bad friend or like a bad partner where they feel like they're owed something when they are giving you a gift freely given. And that is based off of, you know, all the sort of context, right? Right. They go, well, I'm getting this thing for you. So why can't you just do this for me, right? Right. Right. Except most of the time, they actually give you the money first, right? Right. They give you the thing of value and they use it after the fact. And it's it's even worse to say, I will do this for you. And people, you know, people are willing to call that emotional blackmail. Yeah. So see, at the level where you, you start off saying, this is what it is. He never did this. He never did this quid pro quo. If they'd start off by saying, well, he never did this extortion thing. This is that he, he was never extorting anybody. He never bribed anybody. Then the point says, well, he actually did bribe somebody. It's become so much harder to say, well, bribery's not such a big deal. Yeah. Because there's always there's already that emotional attachment, or not emotional attachment, the, the connotation mm-hmm. of the word. Um, so, I mean, you could argue whether the U.S. should be sending $400 million to help Ukraine fight Russia. Yeah. Um, the same way you could argue whether the U.S. should have been helping the Kurds fight ISIS, although in, in Canada we call them Daesh because ISIS is, 
here's another thing where words are using important. their terms. Yeah, ISIS is using their terms. You're calling them what they want to be called. Daesh, Daesh is what uh, they are, and they're known as, but it's not the term they choose for themselves. It's, yeah. it's accurate, um, but I think... It's like boomer now. <laughs> Except um, it, it's it's if you were to take how the boomers are talking about it, it's an exact equivalency. Um, and if you were to take how it actually is, uh, it is it is nowhere near an equivalency. It's maybe uh, adding some extra import to the yeah. uh, act of calling somebody a boomer than it deserves, but it, there are some similarities. Yeah. But this is why I think a lot of that stuff where people argue about the choice of words and saying words aren't important is really a bad faith argument because I think words are important and the way people choose them and stick to them and fight for them demonstrates even if they're willing to say well it's not a big deal don't be such a snowflake like that kind of stuff is <clears throat> really disingenuous and dishonest yeah so for sure yeah so if you're gonna argue if you're gonna argue argue that the u.s shouldn't be sending money to ukraine to begin with but what you can argue is that if you suddenly withdraw help that you aren't screwing somebody over and again ukraine uh, the Kurds, I think both are, they have parallels there. They're not the exact same situation, but there's parallels there in terms of why it's something really bad to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that's what I want to say just because it's in the news so much and the impeachment inquiry is going on. And even as a, a Canadian, where I don't really have the same kind of direct personal stake in it, it's really kind of compelling. And it, it amazes me that people are able to get away with this kind of bad behavior for so long. Yeah, it it seems almost like a farce and i know i haven't i haven't looked into uh the what's going on enough for me to be able to comment in any meaningful way and i know that uh people tend to be very heavily biased towards you know the things that they already believe so i need to be careful that when i'm looking at stuff i am not just sort of making the assumption that i am right uh, and that everybody else is ridiculous, but I gotta say, some people really do seem like they're ridiculous, <laughs> right? That's true. Like I, I need to, I need to preface it that way because I know a lot of people are like, you know, you know, if you disagree with me, your your opinions are ridiculous, and I know there's people on every side. There's people, regardless of what you believe in, that are saying that about everybody else. And I'm not trying to say that I'm saying that about everybody, but I think there is a definite subset of people who are in positions of real significant power who I look at the things that they're doing and I go, wow, you're ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't need to name any specific names other than, you know, obviously Trump. That's, no, <laughs> that's not controversial. And then I think Ted Cruz is fair to lump into it. The problem is, every time I think of Ted Cruz, I can't help but think about that butter tweet. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Ted Cruz cow butter tweet, um, okay. which is one of the most... I don't want to. I don't want to exaggerate for comedic effect here, but it's one of the funniest tweets I've ever seen on Twitter. Like it's but, just ridiculous. But didn't didn't Trump accuse during the primaries? Didn't Trump accuse Cruz or Cruz's family father of being a murderer and talk about like make really disparaging remarks about Ted Cruz's wife? Uh, I don't even remember. But what I do remember, and I'm going to read for you now, is I've looked up the Ted Cruz butter tweet. Um, and for context, the picture is a picture of Ted Cruz uh, doing what I think you would generously describe as smiling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, he looks the way Ted Cruz looks when he smiles, which is to say, um, not great. Um, and he's standing in front of uh, a cow made of butter. Mm -hmm. And the tweet reads as follows. From, this is from the official Ted Cruz Twitter account. Wow, a cow made of butter. My girls would love it. In fact... 
the first sentence Carolyn ever said was, I like butter. <laughs> and I just, I think about this tweet a lot. <laughs> do you? And I, I, I really do. I don't know how to feel about it. But just having a child who you have uh, raised in a way in which the first sentence they ever say is, I like butter. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it says something about a person and the fact that the 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 fact that it's Ted Cruz is somehow entirely unsurprising to me and I don't I don't know exactly why but it's not I love dad, I love mom, I like butter. It's your your first word is probably still dad or mom, but your first sentence is I like butter and I just I don't I don't know what it means, but it's not good. And the f- again, the fact that it was Ted Cruz's parenting that led to it is yeah. in- somehow entirely unsurprising to me, even though yeah. the fact that anybody's first sentence could be that period is surprising. Hearing that right, and right. knowing that it's instantly attributed to Ted Cruz in some way makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. Okay. And we've just, we've run out of footage. We've just won our last fight. We'll get to see what the last crystal gets. Yeah. And so we'll wrap it up by thanking the... Our patrons on Patreon who have been supporting us, specifically Consul Peasant supporting us at the highest tier last word, Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, and Michael DeVries supporting us on the credited level, and Eddie G and Chris Wolf at the gratitude level. So thanks so much for your support, and thanks so much to all of you for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Komoda! Komoda.